0: We're kind of looking at really verses 1 through 8, so if you've got your Bibles with you today and you want to move along with me as I'm, as I'm kind of going through this, um, open them up. If you've got your phone, you want to put it on your phone, that, that's fine. We can, uh, however you want. Those of you at home, open it up on your computer and put us side by side, that's fine. Um, today is Transfiguration Sunday. Um, and with the lectionary being the way that it is, you know, it's last week we were in Matthew chapter 6, and we've jumped all the way to 17. So we're not actually going to go back to the Sermon on the Mount, because there's not enough weeks in the year, um, in this, this, this year. Um, Lent's come too early, so it's been cut short. Uh, we will pick up some of it. On Ash Wednesday, for those of you who are here, but on a Sunday morning, we don't technically we don't go back to the sermon on the Mount. Um, in fact, we go to other Gospels for a while, and then after Easter, we pick up back again in in, in Matthew. And like I said, we're concentrating today really on Matthew 17 verses one uh, through eight, which which Anne just read plus for us. <laughs> <laughs> and and the passage it started by saying. After six days. So, it's important that we actually know and understand what came before that. If we're going to look at something that says, well, after six days. So, what came before? Well, the transfiguration is something which is described in every single one of the synoptic gospels. So, that's every one of them but John. So, Matthew chapter 17 and in Mark chapter 9 and Luke chapter 9. And in each of these instances, what comes before is the confession of Simon Peter and Jesus predicting his death. So if you've got your Bible and you want to flip back to Matthew chapter 16, um, you'll see that Jesus is talking to his disciples. And firstly, he asks them, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that I am? And, and they answer him. Well, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then he says to them, But who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, Well, you are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. And the words that Jesus gives in response to Peter's confession, they're huge. They are so they're massive for the universal church to really get to grips with. He says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For what you have revealed is not come to you by flesh and blood, but by way of the Father. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. So, Jesus is not saying, I'm going to build my church on Peter. He's actually saying, I'm going to build my church on the confession that you just made. The rock, the foundation of the church is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Messiah. That's huge. We need to get that. We need to really dig into that. Because without that truth, without acknowledging that as a fact, everything that comes after this point in the Gospels is meaningless. Has absolutely nothing of of value. Without the fact that Jesus is the Messiah the son of the living God, then what he does next doesn't matter. And after that conversation, Jesus begins to prepare his disciples for what is going to come. And he's explaining to them that the son of God or, or the son of man, as he's referring to the prophecy of Daniel, must undergo a great suffering. He's going to be rejected by the elders, by the chief priests, by the scribes, by the teachers of the law. And what happens is Peter stands up and rebukes him and says, no, that can't happen. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Peter's gone from this this great truth of revelation to this fumbling in the way that only Peter seems to be able to do. And Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross to follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it and whoever wants to lose their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Very important that we get that. That's all kind of really setting up what's happening in the transfiguration. What we're, going to look, what we're really looking at today. Because we need to take up our cross in order to follow him. And what comes just before, where Peter, James, and John go up the mountain. Jesus and these three friends of his Now, Scripture doesn't tell us which mountain this is. But if you go and visit the Holy Land, I've been told you're going to be taken by the tour guides to Mount Tabor. I've even been told that you get off the bus and you get a taxi driver to take you up the mountain. And they don't drive particularly safely. I heard one person joke that there's more prayer in that taxi journey than at any other point in life as people ascend the mountain to, to see the site of the transfiguration. But, but it could very easily be a different mountain. And if I was a betting man, I'd probably put my, mount, my money on it actually being Mount Hermon. A lot harder to get to than Mount Tabor, but it's so close to Caesarea Philippi, which is where that confession and that teaching from Jesus just took place. But being honest, the sight of the transfiguration really shouldn't matter to us. And the fact that we don't know shouldn't matter. What should matter and what is important is that the event happened. But what was that event? What is actually going on here? Well, like I said, Jesus, his three friends, they've gone up the mountain. You've got Peter, James, and John. And they see Jesus and his face face. Shining like the sun. And his clothes are as white as light. And then next to Jesus appears Moses and Elijah, and they strike up a conversation. Now, some people are going to tell us that this this event didn't really happen. And some people are going to say it doesn't matter that it didn't happen, it's all about setting up what the early church believed. About who Jesus is and was. But actually, it's important that we do believe that this happened. That there that that, in fact, because of its oddness, in fact, there are many scholars today who actually say it's that odd, and actually, no, it, it did happen. We're actually going to give it historical value. Um not only because of the words in Scripture, but also because of the backing up of it that we see elsewhere in Scripture and even in the early church of life and even today. You know, it's strange, yes, but that doesn't stop it being real. I'm strange. Okay? Just downstairs earlier today. Thank you to uh, the Doers Life group who have unpacked all of our nice new chairs and, and hung them on the racks that we've had built by, uh, by Ken Cunningham last weekend. They were, they were looking at the tools, and I, oh, it's an Allen key. It's a what? <laughs> oh, sorry, it's an Allen wrench in America, but I'd always call it an Allen key. Or when, when Anne was reading scripture today and she said, and it's shown. I'm like, I'd never heard that before. I would read that word, Sean. Um, So I'm strange. But that doesn't stop me being real, does it? But what makes this passage even more strange is Peter's odyssey again, his oddity. You know, he's like, oh, It's so great that the three of you are here. Let's build some tents. What? (laughs) Where's this coming from? Well, the thing there is really that Peter's saying, I want to act. I want to act. It's not coming from a bad place. It's just coming from a slightly misguided place. Because he's like, "This this is the fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles. So let's build some tabernacles. That's really what he's getting at. He says, let's build some tents. But the thing is here, the time for action isn't then. That's a time for for sitting at the feet of Jesus. That's a time for worship and for adoration. And so it's really important that we don't slip into the trap that many people have fallen into when they look at the transfiguration and they look at this passage and even... When you're looking through your Bibles and the, the many study Bibles that you've got, sometimes the comments in there just take us to a place where we shouldn't be going. We really shouldn't be going. Because some study Bibles will even point to the indication that this is a vision of Jesus' divinity. He shone like the sun. It was, it's his divinity that's shining through him. And you can kind of understand why they'd get to that point. But then, let's think about other cases in Scripture. Well, in in Mark and in Luke's version of this, Elijah and Moses also shone. Elsewhere in Scripture, Moses goes up to the mountain to, to spend time with God. And when he comes down, his face is radiant. He is shining. And the people are afraid because of his shining. And there are, there's evidence, there's stories of people over the world who having been so close to God in prayer, they shine. So it clearly isn't just about Jesus' divinity. Something else is going on here. And I want to draw your attention to Matthew 13:43, when Jesus says, Then the righteous will shine like the sun. If we're going to shine like the sun and we're not divine, why is Jesus shining like the sun an indication of his divinity? See, shining, we're all called to shine. And we looked at that a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? And Tom Wright, as he comments on this, this passage on the transfiguration, he makes a clear, a clear point to say that this is a direct parallel, a contrasting of what happens on Good Friday. So here on the mountain, Jesus is revealed in glory. But on Good Friday, on that hillside, just outside Jerusalem, Jesus is revealed in shame. Here, We've got Jesus, who's flanked by Moses and Elijah, Israel's greatest heroes, representing the law and the prophets. And then, on Good Friday, either side of Jesus is a criminal, which points to the the depths of despair which Israel finds itself in the Transfiguration story. Here, we've got we've got Jesus clothed in white. On the cross, he is practically naked, and his clothes are being ripped apart or or, or gambled over. Right? We've got this bright cloud at the transfiguration. The whole scene is covered. And what happens on Good Friday? The whole scene is enveloped in darkness. Then you've got Peter. (laughs) He's there. He's excited. He's crying out how wonderful it is to be there and to witness this event. And on Good Friday, he's cowering and sad because he has denied even knowing Jesus. And then you've got the voice the voice that comes out of the cloud says, so this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Declaring who Jesus is, backing up that, that, that confession that Peter just made. And on Good Friday, that voice, that voice comes from a pagan soldier. This is the son of God. When we think about one, really, we, think, we should be thinking about it in the light of the other. And we're about to enter this season of Lent. It's a time when, when um, historically, traditionally, uh, we, we, we concentrate on penitence and on renewal. And as you think of the contrast that's between that mountaintop experience and the hillside, I just want to, to press on you that it's all really pointing to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. And so as we go into this Lenten season, what is Jesus asking of you? What is he asking of us collectively as we enter this season of renewal? Of penitence. See, the voice of God, which the, the three friends heard as they were with Jesus at the top of the mountain, it, it's backed up by Peter's earlier confession, and this, this transfiguration story it's recorded by Peter in his second letter. And in that second letter, in, in uh, chapter 1, verses 16 through 18, Peter writes, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven and we were with him on the sacred mountain. Peter is telling those he's writing to, this is truth, it happened, don't think it didn't, and it's all pointing to God's glory through Jesus Christ. That voice of God is ever present in the life of Jesus Christ. It's a voice it's a it's a voice that we should be looking for. Right Jesus tells us in John 10 that he is the good shepherd. And that his sheep hear his voice. And in verse 14 on, it says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and they know me. Just as my father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that don't belong to this fold and I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have power to lay it down and power to take it up again. And I have received this command from my Father. So in recognizing that in Jesus, as the Messiah, as the Son of God, there is the same power, love, authority, and beauty as there is in the Father. We're all called as his disciples, as his sheep, to listen to what he's saying and then to obey it. Yeah, just days before, remember, just days before the events of the Transfiguration, Jesus was telling his disciples, they're going to need to take up their cross. Are you ready to take up your cross? Because it's a guarantee that you will have to take up your cross. Once you step in and say yes to Jesus and you want to follow him, one thing is clear. You're going to have to take up your cross. Don't think of this in, in, in a way of, of, of trying to get out of carrying your cross. But actually pick it up. Walk with it. Listen to God. Learn from him what he's trying to teach you in carrying that cross. Remember the words from Matthew 13, that you will shine like the sun. And as we saw a few weeks ago, be the light that you're called to be. There's going to be many times that you might not feel particularly bright. <laughs> you might not feel like shining, you know. Um, and that's, that's going to happen. But that doesn't mean the light is not there still to shine. just might need a little bit of a help. You just might need a, a kickstart. I've got a little bit of a, uh, an analogy, an example to show you all um, of what it might be like in life. Um, You might want to zoom in, if you can, Craig, on the glass of water. Um, See, I've got two lighters in my hand. One's black and one's blue. I want you to think of yourself as this black one. You've got light, you are light. I wanna think about the person next to you or behind you or in front of you, there's the blue one. They're light too, they're a light to the world. But sometimes you are feeling like you're in a storm, so much stuff is going against you and you feel like it's impossible for you to shine. Like you're drowning in life. Yeah, so you're covered by all that water. You don't know what to do. The struggles are real. When that happens, you struggle to be light. But when we've got each other, the light that that other person carries or the light you can carry for the other person who's going through a difficult time. They can give you a little bit of airs and you can be light. The fuel to be light is there and it's always going to be there. You just sometimes need to help the other person and be that light for them because God's calling you to be light, to shine like the sun. Not because you're divine, but because the spirit of the one who is lives in you. Shine like the sun in the Father's kingdom. It's what Jesus said we will all do. So I'm going to welcome the band up. And they're going to lead us in preparing to come to the table and remember that sacrifice, which runs parallel to the transfiguration. And as they do that, we're thinking, we're responding to all that God's done, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all that he continues to do for us. And he does it out of his greatness. He does it out of his love and his mercy for all of us so that we can shine. So that we can contemplate all the things that he has done for us. We can reflect on what he is saying to us, what he is doing in our lives. And so right now, let's respond to him. Let's respond to his greatness. Let's respond to his mercy. And let's declare how great thou art.